I don't know, let's see, looking out at this crowd, not many of you, I don't think, would be aware that I worked at the movie theater for 15 years, from the time I was 17 until I was 33. Now, if you do the math, something's wrong there, 16 years, I was gone for a year, okay? Let me tell you something that we absolutely, positively hated as people that worked at the movie theater, credit watchers. People that sat and watched the credits at the end of the movie. Well, why did we hate that? We hated that because we had to clean that theater. And there was a limited space there between when that movie ended and when the next movie started. And you folks are very messy. Let me just be very clear. I could be pretty gross in explaining how messy you are, but I won't. Okay? Because it's not the time or place. But we hated credit watchers. They're like, oh, they're watching the credits. If you saw Titanic in the movie theater, that Celine Dion song was at the end, and people would sit and they're just dabbing their eyes as Celine sings. And like, oh my gosh, would you get up and leave? We've got to clean this thing. And then the Marvel movies started coming. <laughs> and they started putting scenes at the end of the credits and letting people know that there were scenes. So, so what did people do? They sat and watched the credits. Why? To see the scenes at the end. Five scenes at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Five. And I'm talking into the credits, after the credits scene, and then the lights come up. And people are getting out laughing and we're going... <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. How many people do you think actually sat in there to read the credits? Not, not, not many. There are a few weird people who sit and read this list of names about who the production manager was and who the caterer was and who the lead gaffer was. and I don't even know what those words mean. Best boy, best boy grip. That's a good one, right? See, some of you all have read credits because you're like, yeah, yeah, I know about the best boy grip. <laughs> but now, I believe that there are people scattered all over the world who read those credits because their names are in them. Right? That changes the credits completely, right? Because there's my name on the screen, or that's my dad's name, or that's my brother's name, or that's my neighbor's name. Somebody that you know, that changes everything. That list of names is no longer just a list of names. It's personal. Vietnam Memorial. What is it made up of? Names. A big wall of names, and people take paper, and they go up, and they color over so that they can get an imprint of the name of the person that they love or cared for that is on that wall. Now you may walk by and not know a single name on that memorial and it may affect you, but if somebody's name that you know is on that memorial, you probably know several people on that memorial. It's a whole different ballgame. There's a little memorial down in Helen where I live, a coal miner's memorial. Um, I don't know. It's probably about as big as that window, maybe a little bit bigger. It's got had some memorabilia in it. Somebody stole mining lights and such. But there's little plaques, names on them. And you probably don't care about that memorial, but my dad's name is on it. My uncle's name is on it. My grandfather's name is on it. So that memorial means a little bit more to me than it does to you. And I'm, I'm not mad at you or nothing about that. Really not. I get it. What do you do when you come up against a big list of names 
in the Bible. Because they're in there, y'all, aren't they? Several of them. Genealogies, uh, roll calls, and that's what we've got today in Ezra chapter 2. And what I want to say to you this morning is, don't overlook this chapter. You don't know any of these people. But my question to you is, in all of these names, what's important? I would say there's somebody you know in this list of names. There's somebody you know in this chapter. And you're going, I don't think so. Trust me. Okay? We're going to read Ezra chapter 2. It's 70 verses. I don't apologize for that. 70 verses that are literally the Word of God. So as we stand and as we read, if you want to sit down, sit down. It's fine. This is not a, uh, an endurance test. Um, but we stand because we respect the Word of God and the God of the Word. So if you would stand for me and pray for me because I'm going to give this a shot, y'all. And I will mispronounce some of these names, I promise you. Okay, And we will have it up here if you want to read along with us. So here we go. Now, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Relaiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Baana. The number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Parash, 2,172. The sons of Shephatias, 372. The sons of Era, 775. The sons of Pehoth, Moab, the, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, 2,812. The sons of Elam, 1,254. The sons of Zatu, 945. The sons of Zakai, 760. The sons of Bani, 642. The sons of Bibai, 623. The sons of Asgad, 1,222. The sons of Adonikam, 666. The sons of Bigvi, 2,056. The sons of Aden, 454. The sons of Ater, namely, namely of Hezekiah, 98. The sons of Bezai, 323. The sons of Jorah, 112. The sons of Hashem, 223. The sons of Gibber, 95. The sons of Bethlehem, 123. The men of Netophah, 56. The men of Anathoth, 128. The sons of Asmaveth, 42. The sons of Kiriath Aram, Kephirah, and Beroth, 743. The sons of Ramah of Geba, 621. The men of Michmas, 122. The men of Bethel and Ai, 223. The sons of Nebo, 52. The sons of Magbish, 156. The sons of the other Elam, that's my favorite by the way, 1,254. The sons of Haram, 320. The sons of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 725. The sons of Jericho, 345. The sons of Sinai, 3,630. We're halfway done. The priests, the son of Jediah of the house of Jeshua, 973. The sons of Emmer, 1,052. The sons of Pasher, 1,247. The sons of Haram, 1,017. The Levites, the sons of Jeshua and Kadmiel. The sons of Hodaviah, 74. The singers, the sons of Asaph, 128. The sons of the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Ader, the sons of Talman, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, the sons of Shobiah. In all, 139. The temple servants, the sons of Zeha, the sons of Hasufa, the sons of 
Tabaoth, the sons of Keros, the sons of Siah, Siaha, Siaha, the sons of Padon, the sons of Labana, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hagab, the sons of Shemlai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Gahar, the sons of Reahiah, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nakoda, the sons of Gazim, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of Pasia, the sons of Besiah, the sons of Asna, the sons of Meunim, the sons of Nephishim, the sons of Bakbuk, the sons of Hakufa, the sons of Harher, the sons of Basileth, the sons of Mahida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkos, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tima, the sons of Neziah, and the sons of Hatipha, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Hasophereth, the sons of Peruda, the sons of Jaala, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pachareth Hazabayim, yes, and the sons of Ami. All the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. We're so close, y'all. The following were those who came up from Tel Mela, Tel Harsha, Cherub, Adon, and Emmer, though they could not prove their father's houses or their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, and the sons of Nakoda, 652. Also of the sons of the priests, the sons of Habaiah, the sons of Hakaz, the sons of Barzillai, who had taken a wife from the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by their name. These sought their registration among the enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there, and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until there should be a priest to consult Urim and Thummim. The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 male and female singers. Their horses were 736, their mules were 245, their camels were 435, and their donkeys were 6,720. Some of the heads of families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, made freewill offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and a hundred priests' garments. Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns and all the rest of Israel in their towns. Let's pray. God, there is nothing that you have done by accident. There is nothing that you have written in your word that is not beneficial for us. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you teach us and instruct us this morning? May we see you and glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you all. Now, let me paint a real brief picture of where we've been so far in our history lesson and in what we saw in chapter 1 last week. Okay? Now, we're setting, we are set in uh, somewhere in the 500s B.C., okay? um, working our way toward the 400s uh, B.C. Because again, now listen, kids, remember when we're dealing B.C., which is before Christ, and today's culture would try to turn it to B.C.E., which is before Common Era, instead of before Christ, but you're using the same years and you're using the same marker, which doesn't make any sense to me. So we're going to say B.C., which is before Christ. So we're working backwards. When you're dealing before Christ, you work backwards. Like right now, it's 2017. Next year will be 2018. Not so before Christ. 
If this year was 2017, next year would be 2016 before Christ because we're counting backwards. We're working from negative to zero to positive. So just so you know that, when, I, when you think I've lost my mind because I'm saying numbers backwards, that, that's what's going on. So we are talking in the 5 to 400s B.C. And the people of God, the Israelites, have been exiled from their land, the promised land that God had, gave, had given them and had promised to Abraham so many years before. They'd been exiled by the kingdom of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, which is a great name to say. That's right up there. I hope that's not on your spelling test sometime. But they had been exiled. They'd been taken out of their land in three stages of deportation by the Babylonians. And in 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem and lays it waste. Burns all the nice stuff to the ground, tears the temple apart where God had been worshipped. And he took everybody except the poorest of the poor out of Israel, and he marched them a thousand miles across the desert to Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. Okay, So here these exiles, these people who had been taken out of their land, marched to Babylon. They had lived for 70 years, some of them. The total length of the deportation of their exile was 70 years because they had failed to give the land its Sabbath rest, just as God had told them to back in Back in the Pentateuch, back in the first five books of the Bible, he said, every seventh year, let the land lie and don't farm it. Well, they didn't do that. And they didn't do that for 490 years, so that's 70 years that they didn't give the land its rest. So God said, I'm going to take you out of the land, and while you're gone, the land will have its rest. So here they are in Babylon. That 70 years comes to an end. And God raises up the Persians to overtake the Babylonians. And this Persian ruler rises up named... Anybody remember his name? Cyrus. We'll call him Cyrus the virus so we can remember him, okay? Cyrus... That's a Con Air joke, by the way. It's a theater joke for the two of you that get that. Um, so this guy named Cyrus is the leader of Persia. And God had said 150 years before Cyrus was ever around, I'm going to raise up a man named Cyrus. And he's going to proclaim that my people can go back to their land and build my temple. And that's where we find ourselves when we start the book of Ezra. And what we saw last week was that this man named Cyrus actually came about. It's, it's like God meant what he said, right? And I love that he uses a name. He could have been very generic and said, I'll raise up a leader who will proclaim that my people can go back to their land. But he names him by name before he's ever conceived or born. Listen, God knows history from before history and after history. He's a big God. So he names Cyrus. And again, secular historians said, well, that can't happen because that was 150 years before Cyrus. And we laugh and go, duh. This is God. And listen, he knew my name before I was born. Before the foundation of the world... My name was written in his book. My name was written in his book. So yeah, God knew Cyrus, and he knew exactly what he would do. He knew what his name would be. He knew where he would rule, and he knew that he would make a proclamation that God's people could return from exile back to the land to rebuild the temple. And Ezra 1 said that God stirred up Cyrus. And he also says that he stirred up some people. 
to go. And that's where we find ourselves today. Last week we saw that down to the plates and bowls that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, God had a plan and God was going to get all this stuff and all these people back to the land. Now, I'm not going to bore you with a whole lot of history here, but I do want to work through this list and we won't read it all again. Thank you, Lord. That's tough stuff, y'all. And it's, I understand. But it is the Word of God. Let me tell you how this list of people breaks down. Okay, He says, now these were the people. Now please note that. These were the people. We're talking about people, and we'll talk about it in the application points. But this is the credits list. Okay, This is the memorial wall. And that's what this is all about. It's so that the Israelites would remember. This wasn't just some vague, hazy group of folks. This was my grandfather. This was my dad. This was my uncle that came back. So, now these were the people of the province who came out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. Now, where did they go? They were in Babylon being ruled by the Persians. Don't forget that because Persia had overcome Babylon by this point. And they returned to Jerusalem and Judah. Now, Jerusalem is the capital city of Judah, which was the southern kingdom of the divided kingdom. Again, we're going back into all this history. That's why we, that's why we set all this history. It's so important to see it. So they returned to Jerusalem and Judah. So it wasn't just Jerusalem that they were going back to, but that's where they were going to build the temple because that's where the temple was to be rebuilt. So they returned to Jerusalem and to Judah, each to his own town. Now stop for a second. They had been in exile for up to 70 years, seven decades, and they remembered the old home place. Anybody remember the old home place? I live right beside my old home place, so it's hard for me to forget my old home place. We as West Virginians, Appalachians, have a very strong sense of place. So I think we can kind of associate with these people what's going on here. They wanted to go back to the old home place. They wanted to go home. Now again, not all of the Israelites went. Only those whose spirit the Lord stirred up. Some people got used to Babylon. And they were doing well there. We'll see that in a little bit too. They were doing well. God told them to do well. So they didn't go. But 42,000 of them plus did go. So they went to his own town. Now, this first list of names here... Is, are the 12 leaders. And when you add Sheshbazar, who we saw in chapter 1, who's not listed here, how many do we have? We have 12 when you add Sheshbazar, who was the leader, who was the prince of Israel. Why is that significant? Why is 12 significant? 12 tribes. In the New Testament, 12 apostles. 12, how many months are in our year? 12 is a funny number. Now, there were, they had 13 months in their year, so it's not as significant to them. But this number 12 is important, and it's significant, and it's showing completion. Now, the first 10 tribes that got wiped away in the northern kingdom by Assyria back in 722 B.C., they were scattered, and they kind of lost their genealogy. We call them the lost tribes of Israel, right? Because they were scattered. But God brought 12 leaders back. To Jerusalem. And I believe it's very important that God's saying, I got 12 leaders here because my people are going to be preserved. My people are going to be protected, 
and I'm going to show you by bringing 12 heads of the tribes back. Now, were they from the 12 different tribes? No, they weren't. But God was saying, this is my remnant, these are my people, I'll show you because i got 12 different people who are going to be your princes and your leaders. Because he says they came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and Nehemiah. Now, this is not the Nehemiah that we'll talk about when we get into the book of Nehemiah. Now, whose name is missing here? There's no Ezra, right? This is the name of the book, right? Where's Ezra? He comes in in chapter 7. We don't know Ezra yet. This is before Ezra comes back. So get that straight in your head too. There's no Ezra here. So if the first are the 12 leaders, again, when you, you've got to include Shesh Bazar from chapter 1 for it to be 12. And then you get into the list of names. And again, we won't work through it. But these are the names of the people, the common everyday citizens who came, and he gives a list of names and how many there were. These are the men of the people of Israel. That was their title. That's what this section is all about here. And he goes through a few verses here, the sons of, the sons of, the sons of, the sons of. And I do love the fact that there's the sons of Elam here and there's the sons of the other Elam later. I love that. And it's the same number actually. The sons of Elam is 1,254. The sons of the other Elam are 1,254. Yeah, we've got a bunch of Jasons. So again, the sons of, the sons of... The sons of, the sons of, the sons of, the sons... Now, there's also thrown in here um, some sons of and men of places. So this is not just about the sons of people. This is the sons of Bethlehem, the men of Netophah, the men of Anathoth. These are places, which if you go back into Jeremiah, there's a real neat little section, we won't get into it today, where God tells Jeremiah to go buy some land in Anathoth. And he says, I want you to hide the deed in the wall. And this is kind of a, a clue that houses and land will be sold and bought here again. And Jeremiah's right in the midst of the deportation. So he says, go buy this land and seal the will up, the deed up, so that when people come back, they'll say, okay, yeah, God said we'd be back here to trade land. That's in Anathoth. That's the only reason I bring that up. The men of, the men of, again, places. So there's the other Elam in verse 31. And the sons of Haram. So we go through all these lists of the men. The sons of Law, the sons of Sinai. Now, we get to verse 36, and who is this group of people? The priests. Okay? And he goes through the list of the priests and what house they were from. Let's not jump over that real quick. The priests were the people who did the work in the temple. Now, time out. Was there a temple in Jerusalem? No. It got destroyed. Remember what they cut the bronze into pieces and carried it away. They carried the cups and the bowls and the plates and the snuffers and the censers away. They're going back as priests with no place to practice their priesthood. But they're going back in order to build a house. Sometimes the work that you're doing may not be for you. It may be for a future generation. It may be for those who benefit from your hard labor that you never get to see the fruit of. Sometimes that's true. We'll talk about that in the application points too. So you've got the priests. And then the next section is the Levites. Let me explain the difference between priests and Levites, okay? The priests were those who had descended from the tribe of Levi, but they weren't directly descended from Aaron, okay? The priests were just the generic priests. The Levites, though, were from the... Oh, I've got that backwards. The priests were the son of Aaron. 
the Levites were the sons of Levi who weren't direct descendants of Aaron. So the priests had that direct Aaronic, not moronic, Aaronic dissension. Okay, they could trace their lineage back to Aaron, the brother of Moses, and the priesthood was given to Aaron's sons. And then the rest of the Levites were also priests, but they weren't the priests. They were Levites. The priests had specific duties in the temple that were only given to the priests, and then the Levites were given other ministerial jobs. So when you read through the Old Testament, including here in Ezra, you'll see the priests and the Levites. So that's the difference. The priests were descended directly from Aaron, and the Levites were the, the priestly tribe that had the other priestly jobs. So he's breaking them down. There's, so there were people in Babylon getting ready to come back to Jerusalem who could trace their heritage directly back to Aaron. They had preserved their lineage that much. They knew word of mouth and genealogies, which again we overlook in the Bible. They did not. They said, I'm a son of Aaron. And these others said, I'm a son of Levi. I can trace my lineage all the way back to them. We've lost that in our culture. And again, thank God for genealogy and Ancestry.com. People are starting to explore that. Some people are finding things they don't like, right, Jody? Oh, sorry, I won't say it. <laughs> Pointing something out there. Okay, so, um, so there's the Levites, and it tells some of the stuff that they had to do. They were gatekeepers. And then we had temple servants starting in verse 43. Again, no temple to serve in, but these were servants, slaves. Okay, let's not sugarcoat that word. These people had been slaves in the first temple. They were slaves in Babylon to the people that had been deported. And now they're coming back as slaves. Think that's significant? They were coming back to do service in the temple as temple servants. But they're not the only ones because if you keep going into verse 55, the sons of Solomon's servants. Now Solomon intermarried with a lot of foreign women and he took a lot of people hostage and he had a lot of servants. Now listen to me. From Solomon's time, he had servants who had children, who had children, who had children, who had children, who got deported, lived in Babylon with the Israelites, and then the Spirit of God stirred up the spirits of the sons of Solomon's servants who had been slaves, and they said, we want to go back too, and we want to be servants in Israel, in Judah, in Jerusalem. Now that says something to me. First of all, it says that God desires a people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and language. Because these people were foreigners. These are all foreign names. Well, not all of them. A lot of them are foreign names. So these are people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And they want to go back to the place where God said, I will be worshipped here. And I want to be a part of rebuilding this temple. So you had temple servants and you had Solomon's servants. And they had become enmeshed in the people of God to the point that they considered themselves the people of God. They had converted. They had proselytized. And they had become Jewish in their outward working and in their desire to worship Israel's God. And God brings some of them back from Babylon too. The sons of the sons of the sons of. And all the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. 392 people 
who were slaves, who were servants, who said, we want to go back because God's put it in our hearts to go back. Now, 59, it starts getting interesting. The following were those who came up from Telmela, Telharsha, Cherub, Adon, and Emmer, though they could not prove their father's houses or their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. Now these folks are saying, we're Israelites. And people are like, prove it. Show me your Israelite card. Lost it. Deportation. It's in the sand somewhere back there. You got trampled on by camels. Camel ate it. Everybody loves the camel song. That's what I hear. That's, that's what I've always heard. They can't prove that they're Israelites. Well, did they look like Israelites? Probably. Did they have Israeli names? Probably. But to be an Israelite, you have to have some proof. You have to be able to trace your lineage back to one of those original 12 tribes of Israel. And these folks lost their connection somewhere. They could go back five, six, seven generations, but I can't make it all the way back to Asher. I can't make it all the way back to Benjamin or Judah or Levi. I can't make it back that far, but I'm telling you, I'm an Israeli. I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew. And they're like, well, you're going to have to prove it. You don't have to prove it to come back with us. But until you can, you are those who cannot prove your father's house or descent. And they still went. God was doing something here. God was stirring up the hearts of people to do His work and every roadblock that came. Well, you're a slave. I know, but I want to go. Well, you can't prove your father's house. You can't prove your descent. I know, but I want to go. God's put it in my heart to go and I want to be a part of this. They say, okay, and there were 652 of those folks. Then you had also the sons of the priests. But the problem is they sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there. And so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. So these are priests whose job it is to do priestly things, and now they can't go back and do priestly things in Jerusalem. They were excluded but they still went. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food, which means the priests had an allowance that came from the sacrifices and offerings that was provided for them. Paul would say you don't muzzle an ox while it's threshing out the grain. The priests got paid by gifts from people. They couldn't eat that food until there should be a priest to consult Urim and Thummim. Now, if you don't know what that is, it basically they played dice to figure out God's will. Okay? That's, the, that's the easiest way to explain it. They would literally cast lots or throw these things that looked like dice, and they say, if it turns up this, then God's will is this. If it turns up this, then God's will is that. Now, that seems silly to us, but the book of Proverbs says, the lot is cast, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Every time you roll the dice... God determines what comes up on those dice. Yes, even today. There are no maverick molecules in the universe. There's not even maverick die. So he said, you don't get to partake of the priest's food unless, until we check this out with a priest who can roll the dice and see if it's God's will that you eat or not. They said, we're going back anyway. So 12 leaders, the men, 
the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, Solomon's servants, men who couldn't prove their descent, and priests who couldn't prove their descent. They all got together. The whole assembly together was 42,360 besides their male and female servants who really didn't have a choice. They were going because they were property. And there were 7,337 of them. And they had 200 male and female singers. Now what's going on here? You reckon they were singing along the way? Remember those songs of ascent that we talked about? When we were going through the Psalms that they would sing on their way to the Passover? I guarantee you when they got close to Jerusalem, these singers fired up the songs of ascent. They're like, we're headed back to Jerusalem. Now when they got there, they probably weren't real happy because they came back to a barren, burnt, raised land. But they had some singers ready. Singing, take me home, country roads, to the place I belong. Jerusalem. It works, it works. Their horses were 736, their mules were 245, their camels were 435, and their donkeys were 6,720. Now you imagine you've got 50,000 plus people because it doesn't mention women and children here. We don't know exactly how many people went back. We've got men numbered at 42,000 plus, 42,360. Then we've got singers, then we've got slaves, and you've got 10,000 animals making a thousand mile trek back to Israel. Real quick there, the fact that there are horses mentioned, only rich people had horses. Poor people had donkeys. That's why there's 6,720 of those, 736 horses. There are, there are different veins of thought there. Um, we think a thousand miles to make a trek, if you walk at three miles an hour, that's a pretty good clip. You weren't work, walking at three miles an hour with women, children, donkeys, camels, and all this stuff. You were probably walking maybe two miles an hour, not counting potty breaks, right? Because can you imagine? We're going to make a road trip next week at potty breaks. Just drive me crazy. Can you imagine 50,000 people in the potty breaks? They, maybe they didn't take potty breaks. Anyway, I don't know is to answer your question. Probably, yeah, it's probably around 200,000. But you're probably looking at least a month, some people say, or it could have taken longer. A month walking across the desert with... Oh, it's 42,000. Right. Yeah, 42,360 men. So at least a month across the desert... On a horse with no name. No, that's something else. Eight or ten of you got that one. I like that. So anyway, here they go across the desert. All these people. But God had stirred up their hearts. And before they left, they said, let's record all these groups of people that are going. They were meticulous to pass on this verbally and by writing. We wouldn't have it here today if somebody didn't write it down. Now, why do you think they took the time to record all this? Because some of these people had lost their lineage. Some of these people had lost their descendancy. And they're like, we're not going to let that happen because we're going to make it back to Jerusalem. When we get there, we're going to restore the worship of God and we're going to be a great nation again. They had hope. They had dreams. And they had a scat of people coming with them. And they wanted to make sure that each one was registered. Who's going Raise your hand. I'm going to write your name down. So that you can tell your children, go look at the scroll. My name's on it. Our house is on it. I'm one of those 
945 sons of Zatu. Because they cared. And it was very, very personal to them. Not everybody's named, but they're all numbered. They're all counted. They all counted. Even those who couldn't prove their lineage. They're all the sons of somebody or the men of somewhere or of the house of somebody. It mattered to them. Why are these lists of names and people important? Because they're people. They're people. And not only that, they're God's people. Sent to do God's work. And God wants His work recorded for His people. This is not a throwaway chapter. I've got to be honest with you. I thought about just saying, hey, we're not going to do chapter 2, y'all. It's just a list of names. Man, I was convicted over that. And the Spirit of God would not let me move past chapter 2. This is the inspired Word of God. It's not fun. It's not easy to sit here and read these names, but it's in the Bible. And we believe that every Word of God proves true. His Word will not go out unless it comes back to Him having fulfilled what it was sent out to do. This is the Word of God. And if God says it's important, we say, yes, sir. And we read it and we study it because God wants His story told. And He wants to... Let me tell you what I just did, y'all. I started to flip my screen up because that's how I moved my, my... My iPad's not up here. I'm using paper. So I'm trying to... <laughs> it did not work. <laughs> so anyway... God wanted this recorded and God wants His people to be interested in it. Now, I'm not saying if you're, if you're sitting here going, this is boring. I'm not saying you're bad or wrong. I'm saying we're just not looking deep enough if it's boring to us. So let's look a little deeper and let's ask the question, so how do we apply this? I'm, okay, I'm, I'm just going to say it, okay? I'm pretty proud of my application points today. Okay? Are you ready? It's not P's. It's G's. Okay? And the four application points are, guys, go, give, glory. Guys, go, give, glory. You can remember that, right? So tonight, when you're sitting around dinner talking about the message, which I hope you do, or tomorrow, whenever it is, you say, oh, I remember the application points, guys, go, give, glory. Because it don't work any other way. Guys, glory, give, go. It just doesn't work that way. Glory, give, go, guys. Guys, go, give, glory. Let me tell you what that means for application points from this passage. Guys, and I've already said it, this whole chapter comes down to people. People. Guys and gals. I just couldn't include the gals in it. It would mess up my flow. Fine, guys and gals, go, give, glory, okay? Because that's a G, too. This whole chapter comes down to people. 50,000 people or so. And if we reach back to last week, like I said, these are the people who were stirred by God Himself to do what they were doing. God uses people to do His work on earth. He could have used angels. He could have used donkeys. And He chose to use people. 
people. Any people in here this morning? I'm a person, and my name is Anakin. No, wait a minute. That's... <laughs> Episode one. We, we try to forget that that happened, by the way. People. God uses people to do His work on earth. God wanted His temple rebuilt, so He sent people to do it. God could have spoke to the dust and created a temple out of the dust. But that's not the way God worked. It's not the way God works. You're saying, are you saying God can't do that? No. But I'm saying God won't do that. You hear what I just said? He won't do that. If there is work to be done, God's going to use people. He uses angels to stir people up sometimes. We see that in Scripture. Joseph, wake up. Go take Mary as your wife. Okay, I'll do that. Does he still use angels? Probably. But I know he uses people. There was a person who preached the gospel to me when I repented and believed. There's a person. Can he do it through the Bible? Yes, he can. But that Bible was recorded down by people. God uses people. This is God's way. He can work without them, but primarily He works through people. So what's our application point? Do you care about people? Saved people, unsaved people, rich people, poor people, pretty people, ugly people, bald people, people with hair, the rest of you folks. Do you care about people? And are you interested in doing the work of God, because if you're going to do the work of God, you have to care about people and you have to work with people. Now, I mentioned that I had worked in the theater for 15 years. Back at the peak of that, I was prone to say, I hate people. I'm just being honest. And I did. Yeah, yeah. He hated God. Well, guess what? If you're God's person... You can't hate people. You can't. And if you're to do God's work, you're going to have to work with and for people. So you can't hate people. God's work is chiefly and necessarily focused on people. Whether you're introverted or extroverted, whether you're public or private, as God's messenger, as God's vessel, you have to care for and minister to people. Things like knowing people's names. Brother labors over that. And I respect that. I do. He'll ask me, what was that person's name? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And he thinks about it. And he asks people, what's your name again? I forgot it. Over and over and over. When we care for people, we know their names. We know what to pray for them. We know how to best meet their practical needs. We know when they're sick. We know when they're out of town. We know when their car breaks down. And on and on and on because they're people. We've referenced before how often the phrase one another is used in the New Testament. Well, those one another's are people. So we should be concerned for and focused on helping people. It's people that need the gospel. So we care about people. So that's guys. What's the next one? Go. So, in a similar vein of the guys and gals, people thought, the Christian life is necessarily a going life. 
Now listen, I'm a homebody. There's nothing in the world, nowhere else in the world I would rather be than in my house, with my family, in my chair, taking a deed or around the table. That's nice too. And that's good. And that's necessary because there's people in that home. But that's necessary from time to time to rest and to enjoy each other and to bless my family. But I can't stay there and fulfill God's calling on my life. These 50,000 people couldn't stay in Babylon if they were going to do the work that God was stirring them up to do. They had to go back to Jerusalem, some of them having never been there before, and all of them going back to nothing certain except God wants this done. They had to go. I can't stay in my house with my family and fulfill God's full calling on my life. Now, my family is definitely a priority in my life, but that's not the only calling God has for me. So I've got to be a going person. I have to be going. We go to church. We go to work. We go to the neighbor's house. We go to the nation's. We go where we should to find and meet needs. We go to God in prayer. These exiles in Babylon were called to go back to Israel so that they could go build the temple there. They were not to build the temple in Babylon where they were. God didn't say build me a temple here and worship me here. He said go back to Jerusalem. Go and build my temple there. They had to go. Now listen, as Christians, as believers, we are on mission with God. We're looking to do His will and when we do look to do His will, we will be a going people. One of the participles, not not a verb, it's a participle, in the Great Commission is go. It's not the chief command. What's the chief command of the Great Commission? Make disciples. One of the participles that describes what we should do as we're making disciples is go. And it means as you are going. That's the literal reading of it. As you're going, turn people into disciples. Remember, we're talking about go as an application point. Listen to what I'm about to say. There are no obedient stationary Christians. What I mean by that is the one used by God, even an invalid confined to their bed, is a goer, a mover, a heat generator. The Bible says we are walking. The Bible calls us to run. It says to go. It sends us. It says we're pilgrims, ambassadors, doers. And I could go on and on. We are to be active in our walk with Jesus. The exiles who came back to Jerusalem also had a lot of work to do when they got back. They weren't there for a vacation where they just show up and enjoy the blessings of the land that they'd left 70 years ago. No, their going led to their working in a land they had not seen in decades. So this going that I'm talking about surely involves working too. And yes... Sometimes we will be sent to other places, other lands, other peoples in order to do God's work there. Not everybody will go in that sense, but we should all be ready and willing to go if needed. Are you going? As you are going, are you doing the work of God? God's people are goers. Guys, go. What's the next one? Give. Okay, so I'm not supposed to go overseas. I'm not 
Janetta and Japan. I'm not Cheyenne and Poland. I'm not going in that sense, so is there something else I can do? Yeah. We may not all be called to go in that sense, but we're all called to give. Give to those who are going and give to those whose needs can be, meet, can be met where we are. The exiles who returned to Jerusalem had those among them who gave according to their ability. Now, I want you to see that. I want to go back here. Here we go. Some of the heads of families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, made free will offerings, there's our give, for the house of God to erect it on its site. Listen, this thing was to the ground, leveled. There was not even a foundation. It was gone. They went back to the site and there was nothing there. So what did they need? They needed stuff. They needed money. And some of the heads of families made free will offerings for the house of God. So nobody told them to do it. Nobody said, okay, we're going to have a a building fund established. Nothing wrong with a building fund. But these folks said, I want to give some stuff. What did they give? According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priests' garments. Now let me put that in perspective for you. Not everybody gave, okay? Keep that straight in your head. Some of the heads of families gave free will offerings. And this is what they gave. Because there's a lot going on here from these givers. A derrick was a quarter of an ounce. So eight ounces is a pound. So 61... Time out. Eight ounces is a pound, y'all. Okay? Let me explain to you what I did with the chili cook-off last night. I wanted to make a double portion of chili. So I, I, I put, it's a secret, okay? You can win next year if you put this in your chili. Because I won. I'm a winner. Um, hamburger and Italian sausage in my chili. If you want some, there's some back here. You can have some today. Because I made a lot. Let me tell you why I made a lot. I got two things of hamburger and two things of Italian sausage. Well, I didn't look at the label, but those were two pounds each. So I cooked up eight pounds of meat, y'all. I'm like, man, this skillet is full. So eight ounces is a pound. Sixteen is two, just so you know. As I was doing the math, I'm like, yeah, eight. Okay, so eight pounds of meat in that chili back there. So 61,000 derricks equals a, you know, a quarter of an ounce is a derrick. So 61 derricks equals about a ton of silver. A ton! That's a lot, y'all. Now, a mina is about a, a one and a quarter pounds. So 5,000 minas equals about three tons of gold. So they've got a ton of silver and three tons of gold to start their work with because some people decided in their own free will to give to the work of the Lord. That's a lot of stuff. And a hundred priests' garments. The priests didn't just walk in in their everyday clothes and garments weren't cheap. So a hundred of them, somebody out of the goodness of their heart The Lord stirred them up and they said, we want to give some clothes so that the priests can do their work in priestly garments. A hundred of them. Now we don't get clothes as money here, I don't think. Maybe we do. But that's a lot of stuff. A ton of silver, three tons of gold, and a hundred garments. People just gave that. And that many given at once, all this stuff given at once, would have been a sign of great wealth. Now, they carried that a thousand miles across the desert, by the way. 
That's dangerous, y'all. Don't carry cash. It's stupid. <laughs> Don't carry three tons of gold and a ton of silver across the... And that wasn't all they had. But So let me just say this plainly, and we can try to tiptoe around it, but the work of God will take financial maneuvering. Plain and simple. Randall Goodgame's coming here to do a concert. He's not doing it out of the goodness of his heart. He wouldn't do it out of the goodness of his heart. We're paying him. It takes money. The money that you give in the offering out there goes to do things like that, goes to help pay people's bills, benevolence, hurricane assistance. When we do the work of God, it's going to take money. And if we're going to have money, people have to give it. And again, I think we apologize for this too much as the people of God. Oh, well, we don't want to talk about money, but we need your money. Free will offerings. God stirred their hearts up and they gave, look, we, we know we need some stuff. Here's some stuff. Here's a lot of stuff. So we, it takes money to do the work of God. As early as the second chapter of Acts, we see financial giving and meeting needs happening within the church. That's, the church was just born. There's just no way around it. And we shouldn't want a way around it. We should be those who joyfully exult in getting to share and meeting needs of those around us. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. What was He talking about? He was talking about money. Not only, but that's in there. Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver. The word means hilarious. It means you have so much joy you can't contain it, you're outwardly exhibiting it, possibly by laughing. I don't remember the last time I saw somebody laughing when they put money in the box out there. Maybe some crying. Oh, jeez. But God's people are givers. And it's not just financially, but that's what happened here. And that's why we're highlighting it. So guys, go give glory. Finally, what's the point in all of this? In this list of names and all this work and all this giving, all this going. They were going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Why? So that God could be worshipped according to the way that He prescribed. All of this, all of these names, all of these animals, all of this gold, all of these garments, there's some more G's for you, was all for God's glory. Our ultimate goal in all that we do as individuals and as a collective group of God's people should be to incite within us and in those around us worship for God. What's the purpose of this meeting? It's worship. What's the purpose of our families? It's worship. What's the purpose of our work and our play? The purpose is worship. What's the purpose of looking to impact the ends of the earth until the end of time? The purpose is worship. And not worship of us, but worship of God who is fully seen as glorious and beautiful in the world around us, and people say, God is glorious. I see it in His people. What's the purpose of missions? I love it. John Piper puts it this way, and we're almost done. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Did you hear that? Missions exists because worship doesn't. Because somewhere somebody's not worshiping Jesus, so we have missions. 
And he finishes this way. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is, temporary, it is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. End of quote. And I would go further to say worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of our lives. Individually and corporately, we are about the glory of God, which is worship. Because I promise you, when you see the glory of God, you will worship. We sang this morning, you're all to us. You're everything. You're all. That's worship. And I want to ask you a question as we close. What if God called you, stirred up your heart, to walk a thousand miles across the desert with a bunch of donkeys? Better watch what I say. And other animals. And he said, I want you to go back to a deserted place, ransacked and run down, and I want you to build me a house. And I want people to worship me there. It's not our calling. But what do you do when the alarm goes off tomorrow and the Spirit of God pushes you up and awake and says, I want you to go to work today and I want you to worship me. I want you to proclaim my excellencies. I want you to preach the gospel because people need to worship me. Now we've read the credits. We've seen some names and I said you knew somebody in this genealogy. Who did you know? Written over every single name and every verse of this chapter is the name of God. He's the purpose behind it all. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and saying, well, no, I don't know this God. Well, this God commands that you worship Him. The gospel is a command to repent of your sins, recognize that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. And you come to realize that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, God in the flesh, who lived a perfect life and took our sins upon Himself and God punished those sins in Him. He died. We proclaimed it this morning in the creed. He died, was buried, was resurrected to show that He was God. And then He went to heaven, ascended into heaven, where He sits at God's right hand today and says, Come, sinners who need a Savior, I'll be that Savior. Some of you know this God, some of you don't. And if you don't this morning, He says, Worship me starting now. And for the rest of us that do know Him, He says, worship me now, tomorrow, at home, at work, in your families, because it is all about God's glory. Even a big long list of names in an obscure Old Testament book. Guys, go give glory. Let's pray.
God, the calling is bigger than we are. The plan is bigger than we are. God, you are bigger than we are. And these thousands of years ago, you stirred up the hearts of people to go and build you a temple in Jerusalem. And they did it. And they did it because you provided for them, you protected them, you blessed them, and you empowered them. We ask the same thing for us today, God. Empower us, bless us, protect us, and give us a fresh vision of who you are and your glory so that we might share it with the world to impact the ends of the earth until the end of time. That we might bless people as we give of ourselves in our going and as we seek to glorify you. Help us, God, by the power of your Spirit. Convict sinners of their sins even now and call them to the Savior who is Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.